From deep in the heart of Texas, it's time to chain fire some freedom with another episode of the Clover Tack Podcast. Listen in as we have a conversation with people from the firearm industry and community. Are you ready for the show? We are too. Let's go. Hello, crew. Welcome to another Clover Tack Podcast, October 19th, 2022. This one powered by Trailblazer Firearms. We're on those guys a little bit later on. We've got Robin Sandoval waiting uh, ever so patiently back in the green room, enjoying the cookies and all the other refreshments back there. I'm uh, going to bring her in and kind of talk about um, a little bit of, of her history. Also, Girl in the Gun, I'm sure DC Project. Some other things will come up. So if you're out there in the replay world, let me first uh, say welcome, I guess, to you guys. Because uh, you can join us live. I don't know why you're not. But uh, that's okay. Remember that if you are in the replay world, video, audio, wherever, you can always participate down in those comments below uh, and keep things rolling. Uh, if you are filing in live, well, of course, you can participate in the live chat. I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later on. want to say a big thanks to the Patreon patrons and the YouTube channel members. Got a few YouTube channel members to shout out real quick uh, in the Gun Snob obnoxious one and gizzard gary welcome to the crew over here on youtube guys and also want to thank those that do the super chats do the super thanks and shop clovertack.com slash shop also proud to be a member of the firearms radio network a lot of cool podcasts over there and we encourage you to go check that out firearms radio net did i miss anything i don't think i missed anything so let's uh let's bring it robin and get this conversation started. How are you, girl? Hi, how are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. So, for those that don't know who you are, I think this is the first time we've had you on the podcast. So, uh, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to to riff. We're going to get into the organizations. We're going to get into the projects. We're going to dissect all of that uh, probably pretty heavily as we move forward. But as far as Robin Sandoval, uh, give us a little backstory. Well, uh, my name is Robin Sandoval. I'm the executive director of A Girl and a Gun. And uh, yeah, I'm living the dream. I have the best job on earth. I get to hang out with the coolest women around the country, shoot guns, do lots of really fun things. Um, my background is that I wasn't always uh, pro-gun. In fact, I was strongly anti-gun for most of my life. I know, I know, but I've been converted and I've brought thousands of women with me. So uh, I think I've made up for it. The, you know, the, the training... The turning point for me was I watched the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina uh-huh. and I saw a modern American city become debilitated overnight and families were left on their own. And there was actually a moment when I saw a mother who was getting on a bus. Uh, she had her two small children and she saw strangers getting on a bus to Houston and she said, please take my children. I'll try to find you in a few days. Wow. And my heart broke for her. And I thought, what do I have to do that that's never me, that no matter what happens, I can stay with my children and we'll stay together. And so I started storing peanut butter and tuna fish. And I thought if a hurricane hit central Texas, we'd be fine <laughs> and just hunker down. And um, my husband said, if people are that desperate, someone's going to kick in our door for our peanut butter and tuna fish. How are we going to stop them? And after arguing for gun control my entire life, I had no argument. So that's when I agreed to to get this tool, to learn about it. Uh, and through that action is how I, I met other women and, and uh, 
a girl and a gun came to be. And now we host a girls night out at the range at 313 ranges across the country. Uh, thousands of women have joined. We, we are an advocate for women and families to learn the safe use and storage of firearms. And uh, we've been doing this for over 11 years now. You know, it's interesting that you bring up uh, Hurricane Katrina. There was a lot of things that we dealt with here in Texas because of that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people, the, the influx, what do you call it? The evacuees, I guess. I don't want to say refugees, but evacuees. And a lot yeah. of those people stayed. That's what the crazy mm -hmm. thing is. Um, we had that big influx. A lot of those people stayed. And so that, that skewed all kinds of things that put stress on a lot of the systems here in Texas. And, and a lot of people don't, don't realize that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that, that you thought that way. Cause you made the jump to crazy prepper with the tuna fish and the, and the peanut butter. <laughs> right. But right. Like it, it was a stretch for the firearms. So that's kind of weird. Yeah. So I found that I've kind of identified it into four steps. So first it's recognizing the need for protection or a need for some kind of tool that's going to be your um, your go-to item uh, to make a plan. So this is where I've kind of become the dear Abby of the gun world because I get emails of, from men all the time saying, my wife hates guns. How can I convince her to like guns? Do you say guns? And, and so I have to say, start with the plan. That's the first thing is what is that go-to plan? Is it the baseball bat? Is it, what? what is your plan? And then start from that. Do you recognize, is that going to be a useful tool? Is that really a tool? Is that kind of a, a made up fairy tale tool? Or is that really a tool that we can employ? I think most people will find that a baseball bat is not a, a useful tool when, when lethal force is needed. So mm. then you start the conversation of, well, who's going to use lethal force? How will it be stored? Um, maybe it's for him to use. And in my case, that was the, that was the case for him to use. And it wasn't until after that, that I became willing to participate in the family emergency action plan. And I wanted to, to, you know, have all the scenarios of what if he's not home? What if I don't have the knowledge? What if this gun falls at my feet? I need to know how to operate anything that's there. So um, all of those things made me want to become my own first responder for my children. But it's that kind of progression on what's the plan, who's enacting the plan, and now are you personally responsible for, for enacting the plan. So that's kind of the step process of, of getting a lot of women on board uh, with participating in their family emergency action plan. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, I think a lot of it may come down to leading by example in a way. And I mean, it's a, okay. It's an old fashioned thing with, you know, the man of the household and that sort of thing. And I get it. And I don't want to play into any stereotypes of that certainly, but you know, I think that it's, I think it's a little easier to move, uh, a significant other, let's just say, um, more toward being more accepting of firearm ownership if you're a safe, responsible firearm owner yourself, right? Mm -hmm. But also it's letting them know, like just the education that comes along with it, the the safe right. storage, the safe use, the access, you know, the accessibility, the security, that you've thought through all of those things. Because a lot of times there's a lot of fear. Uh, I remember as a new gun owner, I thought that the gun was going to kind of out of the safe on its own and enter <laughs> us all. So right. it's just having that um Fortunately, um, my circle of friends and, and my husband and, and others that I met were not condescending to me. They understood that you don't become anti-gun to carrying hot in the chamber in one day, that there's a progress, there's a process. And it's recognizing that each person has to kind of 
uh, go through the mindset and the, the physical training and the mindset training that, that accompanies that journey. And it's creating a, a welcoming place for that journey to happen. And you'll find that if you can encourage a, a woman or a man or anyone along the way in their firearms jersey journey, they will become the biggest advocate on the other side than you ever anticipated. Well, it's one of them things where, how do I put this? So, so for me, it's, I, I don't know, it, it's a foreign to me. And so I, I appreciate what you're saying and I totally get what you're saying because as a firearm owner and, you know, I make the joke a lot of time. I'm, my mother had a hard time at birth because I came out with a shotgun <laughs> or whatever, right? Like I, I literally don't remember the first time that I, the, I fired a gun and a lot of people do. They're like, mm -hmm. oh, this was the first firearm. And then I was so little and it was so long ago. And it's like, I, it's, it's such an everyday part has been such an everyday part of life that it's not something that is ingrained in my memory. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I get what you're saying about, um, about those people that, that come to the realization later in life and how that kind of, that kind of sticks with them. Right. And they tend to be a little more gung ho about it because it was more of a deliberate action than me. Mine was a causal action of location and, and family and other things where those people made a cognitive decision to become a firearm owner. And I think that, I think that holds a lot of weight. Yeah. I grew up in Dallas and I thought that a cadre of professionals would be there with a phone call. And that was, you waited until the phone call. And it wasn't until I had these three little people that relied on me that I realized a phone call would be too late. Uh, but it, it took me, you know, decades to get there. And so right. having that conversation and just letting people know, you know, back when we started a girl on the gun 12, 11 years ago, back in 2011, there many times our, our polling proved that uh, women were brought into firearms from someone they loved, whether it was their father, their brother, their husband, yeah. their boyfriend, um, sometimes their sons brought them into time at the range. But what we're seeing now is that trends have completely changed and that many times women are the first gun owners in their households. So yep. I think that th so much has changed in society, but also the availability of training has really been something that we've worked for for over a decade to make training accessible. It used to be when you took an advanced level firearms class or a top tier class, there were no females in it, if maybe one. I, there was so right. many classes where I was the only female in the class. And now it's common to have, you know, three of us there. At least it's not, uh, we're not an anomaly anymore. If we go, it's it's not anything shocking. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago it was. It took a lot of courage for many women to go to these classes. And now we've made that more mainstream, which is fantastic. But just the availability of training has opened the door for many more women to come into gun ownership because they know that that support is there. Well, let me ask you this, since you, you talked about that, you talked about, you know, years ago being the only woman in the training. Nowadays, certainly things have changed. There's more women in these, these co-ed let's, let's, we're talking specifically co-ed style training. Mm -hmm. Um, is the environment different? Do the, do the, do the male counterparts, do the, you know, male instructors, are they handling things a little differently now than they did back then? Do you see any differences between then, then and now, as far as the environment or the ambiance with the trainings? I think to some extent, yes, uh, depending on uh, career. Obviously, if it's an LE class, it's going to be a little different, although that's changing now more and more, too. We have many more uh, people going into law enforcement that don't have a background in firearms either. So that is changing a little bit uh, significantly in that realm as well. But yeah, I think that the culture has changed just in general. Um, you know, training is training, but I think the 
the experience sometimes is, is given a little bit more. Um, and this is a, speaking specifically of co-ed classes. I think the material is the same. Um, women's only classes have become an advantage for many women uh, just in that it tends to be a little more collaborative learning. There's a little more time mm -hmm. for questions. Um, whereas um, sometimes, you know, men with that, the Y chromosome, they don't want to ask the question because they don't want to seem like they don't know. Um, whereas women can ask those questions and there tends to be a little more of that collaborative learning environment. Um, different things like that. A lot of times too, our classes were a little more rugged and remote and now they're a little closer to facilities for women who are, are going or, and just those kinds of things are a little more mindful. Um, but uh, in general, the, the training is the training and having a quality instructor can teach to any kind of uh, level and, and any kind of content. It just kind of depends on the context. But I think that the evolution of women's only training has given a lot of instructors opportunities to really think about that and to tailor their classes for that kind of environment so that learning can happen and people can be comfortable. All right. We've got, um, I guess it goes down this line because we're talking about you know, the, the differences of, of men and women mansplaining, but G23 out there. <laughs> so how many times have you experienced mansplaining in the 2A industry and at gun shops? It was your approach to this. So I'll extend that not just to, uh, to you know, the industry and gun shops, but like training as well. How do you approach when you see the, the, the mansplaining going on? Uh, bless their hearts. Usually men have <laughs> so much intention. You know, they don't mean to be condescending. They they really are trying to be helpful. Right. And so you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt in that regard. Uh, there's a lot of times where people will try just to give me little tips or help me along. And it's cute. And I, I thank them. And then usually... Um, I don't have to say anything because by the end of the class or by the time we get to the firing line or, you know, at some point the light bulbs kind of go on that I'm not new here. Um, I don't have to tell them they'll realize that on their own and then they get kind of right. sheepish. It's actually really cute. Um, but in most of the time, uh, men just want to be helpful. There are times though, where uh, I do have to stand up for myself, for my training, for my uh, certifications. There are times when I have to kind of go to the mats over it. Mm -hmm. uh, and you just try to do it tactfully because I don't only represent myself, I represent a community of women and I don't want to be that woman that ruins right. it for all of us. So it does have kind of a, a responsibility there too, to be tactful and, and gracious in the way that you tell somebody um, where they can go. Right. I had to giggle when you said bless their hearts. That's a, <laughs> uh, that's a Texas thing. It's a Southern thing. Uh, if you're from the North, we apologize for the bad language. Uh, so <laughs> Uh, but yeah, usually I mean, it's it's kind of funny too because now i can just say you know um that you know i'll, I'll just invite them to google me we don't have to have a conversation right. who i am just just google me right yeah well i mean you and you made a good point I, you know i think that you know it works whether you're talking male or female i mean that can happen with you know even with guys you go to training you go to the range or whatever and you know maybe you don't look the part or you know, maybe you don't speak the language or whatever the case may be, right? You're not a part of that good old boys club and you'll get the same thing where guys do that to other guys. It's not necessarily a, a women thing. Um, and yeah, just sit back and do your thing and through actions, they're going to figure it out, right? They're going to go, oh, okay, that was, that... that was stupid that I gave that person <laughs> this bit of advice. They obviously know what they're doing. Yeah, and usually it comes out over time. I, I've gotten better with that over the years. I mean, it's more year 12 now. And um, whereas before, I think I was a little more wanting to prove who I was and, and uh, engage that in a negative way. Whereas now I think I just 
bless their hearts. They're trying to help. Right. Now, do you think, and, and I'm going to go down this road a little bit because I, I have, I've spoken with women before that actually prefer um, the, the trainers, the instructors that are men mm-hmm. for, for some reason. Um, it seems a little more advanced to them, this, that, and the other. Do you think that obviously everybody's different and they got to make their own choices? Uh, so I'm not picking on anything there. But do you think that having the the non-co-ed, the all-women classes, the all-women, you know, like a girl and a gun, things like that, um, do you think that prepares women for those scenarios that maybe they're better prepared to then go to the the the, the trainers, the instructors that are men? I think it, there's a couple uh, questions there within that I kind of want to uh, peel out a little bit. So back in the day, you know, 10, 15 years ago, there were not a lot of women instructors at the high level. Uh, we had Luann Hamblin was out there. Uh, Vicki Farnham was out there. Gila Hayes, uh, Kathy Jackson. There was just very few of these women who were really blazing the trail for women instructors. Uh, now, fortunately, because of their work, we've been able to uh, kind of cascade that and uh, exponentially grow women instructors. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of women now who are operating at really high levels um, based on the experience that they have and the training that they've had. But in the past, it had been kind of limited it to men. And I don't think it's uh, on purpose, gender specific, right. a knowledge base. I think it was just the experiences of women who had to blaze the trail uh, for that kind of training. Um, you know. Uh, Vicki Farnham always says that nowadays people get a certification, they get a piece of paper and suddenly overnight they're a firearms instructor. Whereas, you know, 20, 15 years ago, it was really hours and hours, thousands of hours on the range as an apprentice for someone before you could really claim the title of firearms instructor. And so a lot of women put in the work back then to get to where they were, and then they were able to blaze the trail for the rest of us. Um, So I think that the reason why many women go to male instructors at the high levels is just because of the experience that's offered and the the knowledge that's there, the uh, the experience of that particular instructor and how long they've been doing it. Um, so there's value in that for sure. Now, on the other side of the coin, there is definitely value in women learning from other women. Um, we see all the time that, especially for a new shooter perspective, women learning from other women is invaluable. Um, being able to talk them through um, their how to work with their body, uh, leverage more than strength, um, techniques um, versus strength. A lot of those things that we see all the time, I can spot a woman a mile away and know she's been taught by her husband or another guy in her life. And I have to help her unlearn a lot of that. Um, But again, that just kind of goes with women being able to speak the same language and and relate different things to other women. But I think as someone goes along in her firearms journey, really the expertise of that knowledge is kind of dependent on which instructor she wants to go to, whether it's, um, you know, someone has a law enforcement background versus someone has strictly civilian background, um, concealed carry versus home defense. I mean, there's so many different things. I I love learning from different instructors with different backgrounds. Um, Many of my friends in law enforcement are really great at de-escalation, verbal judo, managing unknown contacts. I learned so much from those guys because they're able to to turn any situation around. And I, I love training with those guys on the range. Um, for me, for shooting, most of the time I do, um, you know, concealed conceal carry. I'm, I'm a civilian, so I'm a everyday mom. So I like uh, that kind of line of training. But then everything in between. Um, we just hosted at a girl in the gun sniper school a couple of weeks ago. And of course, that takes uh, a lot of military knowledge and then puts it in a really fun and engaging way uh, to make math approachable <laughs> to the everyday person. Right. Um, so I really think it's really more of a learning style than a gender style. 
or than a gender specificity, uh, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, what have we got out here in this live chat? Uh, you answered this one pretty much. Uh, G23 says, did you ever open carry? Uh, and if you do, what setup do you use and why? But you said discreet is your way mostly, right? Yeah, I don't. I will fight for your right to open carry. I will advocate uh, <laughs> with members of Congress for your right to open carry. I just don't prefer to do it. I kind of like being that mom that doesn't fit the stereotype. Um, I mean, between the two of us, who's going to think who's carrying? So um, I right. always like being the mom with my my baby carrier and my baby bag and and um, I can still carry. So um, that's just uh, my personal preference. Yeah, I, um, you know, I typically carry outside the waistband, but under uh, an overgarment, right? Uh, in other words, a shirt that's not tucked mm -hmm. in. Um, but I do open carry occasionally, and I, I'm an advocate for at least occasionally open carrying. I think there are situations and places you can go that I think it's more appropriate. It's, you know, especially if you've got a nicer firearm and you're dressed nice and, and some things like that um, to help fight some of the stigma that mm -hmm. if somebody has a gun, they must be a criminal or something, you know, um, Agree. Like, or, or their law or their law enforcement. Right. That's the thing. Either you're a criminal, you must mm -hmm. be a criminal or you must be law enforcement. And if you're dressed nice, this is a weird thing. Cause I've got that before they go, Hey, are you a cop? And I'm like, no, <laughs> Yeah, it's true. And especially here in Texas, I think that many of the advocates like for us to kind of play the role. I know I've been to the Capitol many times and they say dress Western. Well, I'm not going to dress Western. That's not how I, I normally dress. I normally dress like a suburban mom because I'm a suburban mom. So I'm wanted, I want to normalize gun ownership and I want to look like I normally look. I don't, I'm not trying to get on the, the front page of the paper. Right. Uh, I'm trying to, to talk to members of Congress and, and mainstream what we, how we live. Right. Right. Um, Let's jump into because you know talk about talking about talking to members of Congress. That certainly gets into DC project. Mm -hmm. um, but want to start off with a girl and a gun. So give us a little bit about the humble beginnings of, of girl and a gun and how that started. And it's 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 a huge it's a huge deal now. It's huge. It's huge. It's fantastic <laughs> um, to to quote Trump. But um, uh, yeah, give us the humble beginnings of, of a girl and a gun. Well, the idea of a girl and a gun came about in 2011. Uh, my friend Juliana Crotter was a firearms instructor in Austin, and she was just trying to get more women to the range. And the question was, I'm a female instructor. Why aren't all these women just flocking to learn from me? And so she really tried to identify, is it uh, they're afraid of spending the time? They're afraid of, of spending the money? Uh, they're afraid of the firearm itself? Like, what is it about it? And so she decided at the, at the time back in 2011, like hairstylists were having happy hours at the salon and it was happy hour was a thing. So right. she decided to have happy hour at the range. So she uh, brought her guns and her knowledge and uh, invited women to the range. And uh, that that first girls night out was held on February 28, 2011. Uh, I attended one shortly thereafter in the one in March. And um, it was just a way to, to bring women together and, and give this training and, and um, just open opportunities for training, you know, get ladies out there having trigger time together. And so it just turned into an evolving thing. Every other week we would meet at the range and then pretty soon other instructors and other other cities wanted to say, hey, what are y'all doing? It looks like a great time. I want to do that too. And then a girl and a gun was just a grassroots that grew from there. So now we host Girls Night Out at the Range at 313 ranges across the country. Uh, we have a cadre of instructors. We have about 7,100 card-carrying members. Um, 
it's just an incredible community of women who want to help and sustain other women. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, the last get together that you guys had the big get together, how many women were at that? I forget now, but it was crazy. That one was, that was, that was actually 550 at our national conference this year. Um, we, I expanded it to 600 and we actually sold out in fewer than six hours. Wow. So the 550 was limited at 550? Oh, yeah. We sold out in wow. 40, okay. 46 hours last okay. year with 46 hours, 550 in 46 hours. This year was 606 in six hours. Wow. So it's definitely a sought after event. It's pretty amazing. Well, that's interesting to know. It's good to know because I heard the number. I didn't want to quote. I thought I remembered it was like 500 plus. And I was like, wow, that's that's amazing. But then now to know that that number could have been more oh, <laughs> yeah, yes, because we, you had to limit it. That's even more crazy. It's like, yeah, wow. we could have easily tripled that number. Uh, it, women are, are, our conference is pretty amazing. If you think it, we do it. We do pistols, rifles, shotguns, defense, competition, clays, archery. Uh, we do low light. We shoot from the helicopter. Like literally, if you can think it, we do it. And so it's just an incredible opportunity for women to come and learn about a sport or a technique that they might want to learn more about. Uh, you know, long range shooting precision rifle can be kind of pri- pricey to get into. And so here, take three hours, learn how to engage targets at a thousand, a mile beyond. See if it's something you're interested in. Learn about what kind of equipment you might want to invest in and then go home and learn it. Uh, the same with three gun, the same with archery, the same with vehicle defense or something that you might not be able to do at your home range. Not a lot of people can do CQB. So we do sims. We do, I mean, pretty much anything. We do knife defense. We do ground fighting. Um, everything that we want to offer people so that it expands their opportunities and their knowledge base so that they can go home and learn more. Right. And I I want to dive into the the specifics there here in just a second. But uh, before we do that, uh, yeah, we're a little bit over time, but we're going to talk a little bit about our friends from Trailblazer Firearms. Bear with me, bear with me. But if you're looking for innovation and some really cool products, Trailblazer Firearms, They've got them made in the USA, North Carolina, small company, great people. Uh, yeah, and they're doing some pretty cool things. As far as the life card, credit card size, 22 long rifle, 22 magnum. They've got some really cool accessories for that as well. Threaded barrel uh, comes in a bunch of different colors. I think mine is, I think they call it the Barrett Brown, uh, but either way. And I hear there's some some add-ons and some uh, upgrades coming down the line for that life card as well. Uh, and then they've still got the, uh, uh, what is the nine millimeter carbine that flips and folds and, and, uh, collapses together and everything else. The pivot is what they call that thing. Uh, and I don't think it's out into the commercial market just yet. Uh, they're still working through some of the tweaks on that, but that's going to be a really cool one once it hits. So check all that stuff out, all of the innovation, support a small company, you know, the drill, uh, with trailblazer firearms. And if you do decide that you want to pick up one of those live cards to carry, or just to have fun with out on the range or whatever, you can uh, save 10% with the code Clover So I want to get back. You mentioned archery and this is something that I found Anytime somebody mentions archery, like I'm, I, I love my archery. So it's an opportunity for me to talk archery. And I found like, that with my time in youth shooting sports, archery was a gateway. Uh, it was a huge gateway. And I don't know if it was a gateway because our range days that we had, we had five different disciplines that went on at the same time during those range days. Uh, and of course we had curriculum set up. I won't get into the whole mess, but, I would get families that come in for the archery 
and then they see, and again, I don't know if it was because all in the location, and they see eight-year-olds shooting handguns or 10-year-olds shooting shotguns, and they're like, okay, that's not near as scary as we thought it was, right? Uh, but they came in for the archery. Do you, Is the archery a gateway, or is it more of an afterthought, or how? what was the thinking around that? That's interesting. I, I think that might apply more on the local level. Um, for our events, archery is really more of a, a next level thing because most women come to us uh, for learning their pistol for defensive use. And then we get them into competition and other things that they can uh, enjoy. And then archery is just another skill that they might want to expand to. So we do a lot of um, beginner archery, learning the compound bows, learning the, the techniques, the equipment, the names of everything. And then we have a couple of advanced level um, 3D archery hunting classes where you learn about angles and wind and all that kind of stuff too. So, um, but for our girls, typically they start with a firearm and then move into archery, but maybe on the local level, it would make sense that a lot of families would come to archery. I know that uh, we have a couple of ranges that offer ax throwing at their range and they say oh, that it's definitely that, a gateway because people popular. come in to just have a good time and then see other people having a good time on the range and it's not as scary as they thought. So uh, I could see how a lot of those other activities would bring people to the firing line side of things. Yeah, and I think it's uh, I think it's important to look for certain avenues like that. And as, like I said, I, I don't know how that translates over. Obviously, with families and youth, it's a it's a little bit different scenario uh, than than grown people that have to make that decision. I don't know. I don't know that anybody's sitting around going, "Darn it, I wish I knew how to shoot a bow." No, I don't know that. I don't know that that's <laughs> a thing. Because um, you don't think about that. You're right. As a grown up, you don't think about that with uh, being your first responder, right, with having to, you know, defend your home, defend your life, defend your property, that sort of thing. You don't think about a bow, you think about a firearm. Well, as you were saying, too, though, growing up in a, in a home that has firearms or that might be in the country or the, with a family that might enjoy hunting, that might just be part of your lifestyle. And you might not even have known that archery was something that other people didn't do, you That's know, true. so it might just be yeah. a part of the culture of your family. I know a lot of families that, that, like, you know, my family's watching football season, baseball season, other families are watching both season, deer season, you know, it's just part right. of however your family is. Right. Um, yeah. It's just yeah. part of the family calendar that you just know about. Right. Um, now you talked about the legislation um, aspect earlier. Um, when you go and you're talking with legislate legislators, um, is it more so under a girl and a gun? Is it more so under DC project or is it a combination of both? And how is, if it is a combination of both, how do they differ? Well, I, I, it's both because I am, I am a girl in a gun. So you a girl in a gun is my life, right? Hand. So it's you just can't part turn of it. it off. Yeah. Exactly. So everywhere I go, I bring a girl in a gun with me because that's my, my passion. It's my, my job. It's my family. It's my community. So, um, and it comes with the training. So, Part of me advocating for the rights to keep and bear arms is, is also me allowing the use of training and families to become proficient and confident and all of those things that all kind of rolls together. So I am on the board of directors for the DC project. I'm also on the national advisory board and I'm also the um, uh, Southwest region coordinator. And uh, I was this, the Texas state director for a while, but I, I it's too many hats, <laughs> too right. many hats. I had to all give right. up some things. Um, but I love advocating uh, with the DC project. So basically um, when Diana Muller had the idea of the DC project, she wanted to bring women to meet with their legislators and you need a constituent to do that. So it was, how do we find a woman in each state so that we can go and meet with every Senator? And um, because a girl on the gun is nationwide and we have girls in every state, she came to, to us first. And um, 
we just started brainstorming on that. So she asked me to serve on her board. And it's been an incredible opportunity to, to meet with other women, uh, to meet on the state and national level with members of Congress. Uh, we kind of done a lot of uh, advocating already. So this was just a natural progression to kind of organize it and formalize it. Um, but yeah, I love it. I love meeting with members of Congress because when I walk into that office, they're going to think, they automatically think that I'm with Moms Demand Action or some kind of right. um, right. anti-group. And so gotcha. I, I love turning the tables on them. Yeah. And the first thing I say to them is uh, it's important for my legislators to know that moms like me, uh, that moms that make demands to take our rights don't speak for moms like me, that moms like me are out there. And if they only hear the people yelling and demanding and wanting to limit our freedoms, they need to also hear from us. And so uh, they can't just hear the, the ones yelling. They have to hear the ones like us that want to carry to protect our families and our children. And right. I'm not afraid to have those hard conversations. I'll talk to them about school safety. I'll talk to them about gun safety. I'll talk to them about youth sports and college application or uh, scholarships and all right. of the opportunities available to kids that they don't know about. Because especially the people living on the Hill or in the in D.C., they're so limited by that area. I think the my dog's protecting me from the Amazon man. Sorry. We love, we love puppies. <laughs> we love puppies. It's all good. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's, go ahead. That I, those people who are on the Hill are usually pretty insulated from everyday life. You know, they've got their capital guards around them. They've got, um, they don't realize what it is to be your own first responder. So it's first sharing that with them, that if something happened to you right now, like I said, with the plan, like, what is your plan of baseball bat? Well, my plan growing up was to call, Dallas Police Department. Their plan is to call the Capitol Police. So you have to kind of talk that through with them. How would that work? What does that look like? Has there been a time when you were scared and wanted something with you? Well, yes, they've had that experience now. So why would my life be any different? Why are my children any different? And it's just getting to talk to them on an emotional level where you can really make that connection um, so that when they do go to vote on something, they think of that feeling. Yeah. Um I've got a couple of things. Hopefully I can put a pin in one and we can get back to it because you, when, when you girls go to, you know, the legislatures, I know you team up. Um, so you're not always with Texas legislators. So what's it like having to go in and talk? Have you had to go in and talk with anti-gun legislators and what's that like? And as someone from Texas that doesn't have quite as big of an issue with, mm -hmm. with that area, what benefit does that bring to the other ladies when you're having those conversations? Well, we go as a team. So everyone will come with me to talk to my Texas le legislators, but I'll go with the other girls to talk to their legislators. So we all kind of make the rounds together uh, and share our stories. Uh, there are, you know, states that have really strict, restrictive laws. And so it's nice to hear those stories. You know, many of us will have uh, personal stories. Fortunately, I, I don't have one of the the stories where I needed a firearm to, to defend my life in that instance. But if there is that story, we can talk about that. Um, th there are definitely times where I've met with members of Congress that are anti. Usually I haven't met with the member as much as I've met with the staffers. Once they know where we stand on the, the policy, they usually kind of push us to the staff. Um, and it's their job to be nice to us. Um, there have been a couple that have been ugly, and I had to um, remind them that, you know, they are civil servants <laughs> and they were, there was actually one staffer that was quite rude to one of my colleagues. And uh, oh, wow. I, I said, you know, she said something about working for him and, and the member. I said, no, 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 you work for her. <laughs> and I was really sweet about it. And I was like, no, remember she's, she's 
a constituent. You work for her. Um, and so it kind of uh, changed the conversation a little bit. Um, you know, we're all human at the end of the day, and we're all talking about things we're passionate about. And we all try to go in res res uh, respectfully. We don't wear bright red t-shirts. We dress professionally. We try to look like everyday people that are um, not trying to be militant or yelling or mm -hmm. uh, disrespectful. So I think setting the tone that way is is really the most important thing. All right. Um, now, when you're talking about Moms Demand Action, something, something clicked with me just then. Because <laughs> you said, you know, the demand. So just the name of the organization to me it's like moms demand action and it's like the pro gun side is not demanding anything we just want you to leave us alone <laughs> that makes sense <laughs> yeah i think that the difference would really be the second part is for gun sense in america because our difference our ideas of what gun sense is is very different our ideas of gun safety um, when they talk about gun safety right. and we talk about gun safety i'll tell you all about the four rules of gun handling uh, they talk about gun safety as in don't have them which is not right. really practical for the american family um and and i yeah. think many people realize that maybe a maybe a household would be a gun-free zone if you choose to be that way but the second someone else comes in your home with a firearm you're at an incredible disadvantage so uh and and if your child goes to someone else's house or uh to a, a playground or something where they find a gun knowing that information knowing the uh, the nomenclature and how to prepare your children for life is just part of what parents do so those are important conversations that we have too well and um just hit this one from ghost real quick because you, you sort of hit on it but he says how do you start the conversation with an anti-gun legislator so you, you what is the kind of the procedure you said that usually you say hey here's why we're there uh and then they pass you off to a staffer but you know how do you well, how do you walk into that yeah, we book the, the meeting in advance and we kind of know where they stand and they know where we stand. They try not to have any surprises there. But and I honestly just thank them. That's how I start is I thank you for your time. Thank you for serving our country because everyone is there doing the, the part that they feel is best. But that's when I tell them that I think it's important for them to hear my voice. And especially as a constituent that represents me, I just want you to know that there's moms like me out there and that this is a really important thing to us. And so just starting that way to say that. You know, moms like me want to, you to protect our rights. Moms like me want to be able to protect our kids. Um, don't you want to protect your kids? Uh, how can we work together to make this happen? And it's just having a really respectful conversation and to also be a resource to them. Because even if someone is anti and having anti-legislation, they still have to be able to um, vote on legislation. They have to go to hearings on legislation that they might not understand. And so we can tell them that, hey, the, the unintended consequences of this bill, like it sounds like a good bill on the face of things, but let's talk about how this, what this really means, how changing that part, what that really does, or requiring this limitation, what that really does to law-abiding citizens or moms like me who need to get to my firearm, or the single mom who can't take off work three days and pay all these uh, jump through all these hoops with all of these uh, registration fees and class fees and training fees and all these things you're requiring, that single mom is going to be left defenseless. These are unintended consequences of, of laws that you're trying to make to protect people that's actually putting people at more harm. So that's the kind of conversation that I have with them. It's just sharing them on a heart-to-heart -heart level that they may not have thought of before. Does the the self-regulation because it's 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 education over legislation obviously so talking about dc project mm -hmm. does 
does the self-regulatory part come into play when you guys are talking to legislators like you know making them aware that we already as a community push for this and do this we already you know safe storage for example mm-hmm. right um education especially you know the four safety rules three safety rules however many depending on uh, what school of thoughts you, you grew up in right. i'm a three safety rule guy but um, <laughs> that's me um and then um you know, obviously we've got walk the talk america holding my mm-hmm. guns we've got the mental health space we've got all these different areas that are you know working on self-regulating and self-governance so is that often talked about in these legislative meetings well remember when you go to a surgeon they're going to want to do surgery when you go to a legislator they're <laughs> going to want to write legislation it's just True. what they do yeah. so it, you can't tell someone, a surgeon, not to do surgery. You can't tell a legislator not to do legislation. So it's a matter of getting them to, to vote for or draft legislation that makes sense um, and for them to understand that there are these programs already in, in, in place. Um, many of them don't realize the work that we're doing to educate families and, and children across the board or the positive outcomes of, of our shooting community. They don't even know that exists because they get their information from the evening news and movies and things that are just grossly wrong. So it's our job to kind of give them those nuggets because we're not going to change their mind in a, you know, 45 minute meeting, but it's for them to just to see that we're normal, that we care, that we have resources and that we'd love to be a resource to them. So that if legislation comes across their desk and they need to just bounce it off someone, we're, I'm not only a mom, I'm not only a constituent, I'm a professional in this world. I have the credentials to back up. And and if I don't know the answer, I know people who know the answer. So use us as a resource to make sure that we're drafting legislation because they're going to make legislation. So let's make things that don't infringe on our rights that actually, you know, safeguard our communities. Um, There's a middle ground. So we know that they're going to make legislation. Let's make it legislation that makes sense and doesn't have all these unintended consequences and especially isn't harmful for the American family. Right. Um, now you mentioned uh, you mentioned a movie, so this is fun. I'm gonna throw this one out there. G Web says, uh, "I mostly know movies of the '80s." It said, "Knowing so many ladies who are into shooting in so many ways, are there any movies that gun gals appreciate?" That's that's a fun one. Well, I'm sure. Uh... I have to think about most of my movie quotes come from guys, you know, my, my guy <laughs> friends are all my movie quoters all the time, but right. um, I have to say someone mentioned the Terminator last weekend and I was like, I don't want to be the Terminator. I want to be Sarah Connor. So uh, there's oh, there a lot go. of women in uh, firearms, but you know, we enjoy a good John Wick movie as you know, much as anybody else. I've still never watched them. <laughs> I know that's horrible, but yeah, it is what it is. Keanu Reeves. Yeah, I can't handle it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Talking about, uh, you know, stepping back into the training, G23 had one out there. He said, um, what three drills uh, do you run at the range and why? So if you were going to recommend three drills to the, any of the ladies that might be listening that you think are the most important, what would those be? Gosh, the most important drills. Um, obviously, the dot torture is really good on uh, accuracy. Um, the bill drill if you want speed and transitions, I like the compass drill a lot. Uh, the compass drill is just moving your body in different alternate positions, making sure that you're not muzzling yourself as you're getting up and down. I think that's a, a drill that people don't practice as much, um, right. but ne- you need to, you need to know how your body's going to work, especially, you know, as you're, those of us who are getting up in age, we don't get up as gracefully or get down as gracefully as we used to. And so practicing right. those, how am how am I going to safely maneuver with a firearm? 
to be able that to be accurate from any position. So uh, the compass drill is a good one. Um, yeah, any time on the range that's purposeful training where you know in advance what you're going to be working on, whether you're working on speed, whether you're working on accuracy, whether we're working on both, um, have a plan. And uh, any trigger time is good trigger time. Yeah, and I think it, it, you know, I think a lot of that translates. I mean, people want to, we talked about it kind of at the first of the podcast, you know, the, the co-ed training, the, the women's training, the men's training. But I think ultimately the, the basics of the techniques are all the same. Uh, it's just, you know, how do those apply to the body type, clothing, the scenario you're in, right? That could be location. That could be several different things. May tweak things just a little bit, but ultimately it, it all comes down to the same thing. Agreed. And I think it just depends on your lifestyle too. If you work in an office and wear office clothes, if you go to a lot of transitional spaces, um, my my daughter is blind. And so I've done a lot of training uh, with her because I'm usually guiding her. She's usually on my arm. So we have co code words and things that I can use to get her to go to my support side. Um, so making it personal to your family plan. Um, a lot of people have uh, special needs children or they'll have aged parents that they're taking care of. And so don't forget those important people when you're making your, when you're doing your drills, make sure that you include those uh, techniques also, because if you're never alone, don't train like you're alone. If you're never in range clothes, don't train like you're always in range clothes. Um, it's keeping it real world for your family. It's important. Right. Now, do you mind talking about your daughter just for a second here? Sure. Cause I, I do, I do, I do have a, a wonderment, I guess you could call it. <laughs> okay. Uh, how old is she? I don't, I don't recall. She's 12. Yeah. Um, so does my question is, does she show any interest in firearms and what is the making her familiar with that? The reason I ask this is we've got a lot of followers, friends, colleagues out there mm -hmm. that carry every day and are blind. Mm -hmm. And I see absolutely nothing wrong with that. If like everybody else, they pay attention to safety and training and other things. So I'm just curious your take on that being a, a mom. Yeah, I advocate for the right of anyone uh, to to keep in bare arms. Uh, her, the round that leaves the chamber, she's morally, ethically, legally, financially 100%. responsible for it, just like like I am or you are. Um, so for her personally, she's made the decision not to get involved with firearms just because they're so loud. Um, I have not found hearing protection for her that uh, can muffle the sounds enough to where uh, the the firearm itself is dampened, but her uh, peripheral hearing where she feels like she knows what's going on, but she's ah, still true. really young. Um, that's just the only thing is I have to be very protective of her hearing because it's her primary sense now. Right. And um, I'm sure it's more sensitive because of that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She definitely has supersonic hearing. She's like, uh, was it Wolverine or whichever the one is the blind one, but um, right. Daredevil, isn't it Daredevil? I forget which superhero it is. Daredevil. Anyway, yeah. Daredevil Daredevil, yeah. The blind one. Yeah. 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 She's like, I can't open a candy bar wrapper a mile away without her showing up. She's faster. She's faster than the dog, but she, um, so for, for that reason, I have her, her hearing super protected. She has been shooting before she actually, I was taking a precision rifle class and we were doing some, uh, 2000 yard shooting and she was down in a bay shooting and um it was really cute they had a little 22 long rifle for her and they actually had a camera on the sites that went to an app on a phone so that they could walk her in and uh, so she hit one and she missed one and then hit two and she's like okay i'm good i did it oh, wow. so awesome. but it was it was good she said so she got that experience she does have I'm, i have my my blue guns and my cert pistols she is familiar with the the firearm uh, just for safety reasons, I want her, if she ever came across it, to know which parts are the parts you don't 
touch or right. get in front of. Yep. Um, yep. So she's very familiar with that. But we do mostly do a lot of managing unknown contacts and uh, situational stuff, uh, avoiding finding cover, getting away. Like th those are really the things that I focus on with her. Right. Yeah. And I think that's important, especially for, I well, it's for anyone, especially, I guess, if you, whether you're going to carry or not. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, being able the, to avoid the situation altogether or being able to get out of that situation is, is just as important as being able to, to engage in a situation. Yeah. There will be time when we talk about personal safety more. She's 12 and she's been doing some beginner jujitsu just to learn some, oh, wow. some hands-on because um someone that could. That would be a surprise for an attacker, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, the sexual assault rate of blind females is like 90%. It's insane. Oh, so wow. I, I want wow. her to, to be prepared and to be able to surprise somebody by pulling them into guard uh, where she can feel what their moves are and anticipate their moves as opposed to being farther out. She doesn't have that information. So um but again, it's just having your personal, personal family plan. And I could talk about it right. forever because it's something I'm passionate about, um, braille advocacy and making sure that the, the signs on, on exits are clearly marked. There's a lot of times when in print it will say northwest stairs, no exit, but in, uh, in braille it'll just say stairs. Uh, so those kinds of things I'm a big advocate of. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make um, any sense. I never knew that. Right. I don't read Braille, but I never knew right. that. I always, I always thought when I looked at Braille, I thought that's way shorter than the words on the sign. <laughs> like, you know, but sometimes right. foreign language is that way because right. English is a very complicated language. We use 8,000 yeah. words to say what can be said a lot of times in two. So I never, I never considered that. So that's good to know that a lot of times it doesn't give all that information. A lot of times it doesn't. And as someone who, who advocates for personal safety, it's definitely uh, another layer of things that I talk to members of Congress about. Right. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, you were talking about the, uh, the OG women trainers and stuff before mm -hmm. uh, G23 out there says, uh, if you were asked to name the top five women instructors, uh, who would they be? So the top five women instructors active right now there, it really depends on the discipline. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously the director of training for a girl and a gun, our director of training is Tatiana Whitlock. She's amazing. Oh, yeah. uh, really, really incredible. Uh, concealed carry instructor uh, in law enforcement. Louie Hamblin is, is amazing. Uh, she's incredible. Um, there's a lot of women on the, the three gun circuit um, competitors uh, that are really great. Um, Gabby Franco is a really great instructor and on competition and things like that. Um, it, it really just depends on the discipline that you're going in because uh, whether you're um, like Regina Malkovich, she's the expert on the long range uh, rifle. So, uh, it kind of just de depends on what your what your skill set is or what right. platform or, you're interested in. Right. Or your passion or just what you want to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Gabby's one of those two that, and even outside of the actual finger on the trigger, um, just her story, if nobody's ever heard that, uh, don't remember how long ago now she was on the podcast, but I'm, you can find her story everywhere. She's not shy about talking about it, but um, it's, it's pretty amazing, especially with the things going on in Venezuela today and, and that sort of stuff. Uh, got a really awesome perspective on that. Yeah, she's very inspiring to know that if it can happen in a, another country, we'd be naive to think it couldn't happen here. Yep, yep. Uh, now, G. Webbs is saying on the instructor front, he said, uh, well, nope, that's not it. Let's get this one first. Uh, he said, uh, was there a known first female firearm instructor? I don't know. Maybe Annie Oakley. <laughs> I don't know. 
Um, you know, women Possibly. have been shooting since this, knows, yeah. this, forever. Uh, I'm sure that just like women, uh, our mothers teach, I'm sure that women have been teaching firearms since forever. Um, I would think that, uh, in my lineage of instructors, it would probably go back to, to Vicki Farnham. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, he says, uh, he also says, what are your top two ranges? Uh, one you've shot at one you've yet to shoot at. Well, um, I love shooting at Cameo in Grand Junction, Colorado. It's a great facility because it allows me to do lots of different types of shooting. Um, I'm going to Gunsight on Sunday for the first time. So oh, uh, nice. I'm taking a Gunsight class out there. Um, haven't been there before, and I figure it's a staple of the industry. You know, it's got a lot of OG uh, history there. And so I'm looking forward to experiencing that. So, um, yeah, pretty much anywhere there's a range. Uh, I've been right. to... I've, I've been to fancy yeah. ones. I've been to ones out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's hard for me to answer that too. It's like eh, my backyard, my range, like uh, that's the one I shoot at the most. So that's, yeah, that qualifies as a favorite, I guess. Uh, I would have to say, and I think you've been there too. You've been to CMP in Talladega. Yes. It's beautiful. Oh, it's gorgeous. I mean, I, you know, the facility's nice too, but just the setting and the way it's laid out. Yeah, it's, like it has more that. of that like golf course feel, you know, with the flower beds and the flag really and, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of swanky a little it's bit. Super, yeah, it's bougie. Uh, I'm just upset, and I told them at uh, Shooting Sports Showcase earlier in the year. Um, was talking to them, and I'm like, "You guys have got to." This is two years now that I went down to the shotgun facilities, which are absolutely amazing there, uh, and like nobody had anything set up to play with those facilities i'm like we've got to get some shotgun companies out here next year for sure i want to shoot some shotgun clays down there on that on that part of the range it looks like it would be a blast mm -hmm. yeah and if you want to shoot shotgun the national shooting uh, center is in san antonio it's really amazing too mm -hmm. i've heard the the uh what is it the whittington center yeah the whittington center is incredible a, there's a good one out there too. Yeah, yeah, that's really fun to go to. They've got all the knockdown seal. So it's fun. You can shoot it all down, but then you have to go pick it all up. <laughs> right. Right. Then you gotta go, then you gotta go set it up. Unless you have uh, people for that. I'll send I'll send right. my husband. I'll be like, go, right. go pick all that up for me. <laughs> so we're uh we're we're coming in, we're closing in on the top of the hour. We're not done quite yet. If you've got questions out there live, go ahead, throw those out. We'll we'll try to squeeze them in. Not a problem. I've been saving one because it's like, good Lord, I got a lady on the chat and this, this question's come up and I don't know if it was, it was throwed out there for a joke, but it's definitely something that I hear all the time. Okay. So we're going to tackle it. G23 says, oh. is there a perfect caliber for a woman? Honestly, whatever she feels comfortable shooting that she will carry and not keep in the safe. Um, obviously there's ones that have greater uh, velocity. Uh, for self-defense that are more preferred. I would love to see her carry nine or greater. Um, but, uh, you know, the first goal is to get her taking responsibility and having the mindset to be her own first responder. And so I, I think it's having a gun that fits is really important. And making sure that a gun works in her hand, that her hands are able to reach all the controls, that she's able to have control over that firearm and manage the recoil to the best of her ability, that she can access it with a, a safe and proper grip from wherever she has it concealed or, or stored. Um, all of those things really play into, I think, more than caliber. I think a lot of it is, it, again, we go back into this, the same things with 
same things with guys, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I know people that aren't comfortable and they go out and get a 22 for whatever reason, because they're just not comfortable at the end of the day. I'm like, well, I'd rather you have a 22 than nothing. 22 works a lot better than a rock, you know? Um, so, you know, it's a start. People have to kind of start somewhere. I'm wondering though, as far as that stigma where people, the caliber shaming, that's what I call mm -hmm. it. Oh, you know, you, you carry a 22, that's horrible. Or you carry a 380 or you, I carry a 380 by the way. Uh, most of the time. Um, or, you know, you carry a 25 ACP, whatever it might be, right? Mm -hmm. It's below nine millimeter. You tend, guys tend to get pushback and hate on that. Um, do you see that type of thing with women at all? Does do women care about when one another, right? Like, oh, you only carry this or you only carry yeah. that? Yeah, there's gun shaming across the spectrum uh, among everybody. So it's uh, well, good to hear. It's <laughs> a bad yeah, thing, but it's good to I know. hear. I mean, haters, there's going to be haters in every circle, um, right. but there's also people who think they know and don't know. You know, you really have to look at the, the ballistic data, the ballistic gel, like knowing the, the anatomy of the body and vital organs. And it's a whole more complex conversation than just how can you manage recoil? You know, it's, it's what situation are you going to find yourself in? Do you want to be the most prepared for? Again, going back to that, is the baseball bat your plan? Well, then I'm going to make you the best I can with the baseball bat until you decide that you want something better more right different um right. it's the same kind of thing well and you know with body type and i know my wife really really wrestled around with this a lot you know with body type with clothing um you know sometimes you're restricted by which handgun that you can you know the dimensions the sizes and things like that which also prohibits certain calibers so i mean you may be limited to that just simply because that's the kind of dress or skirt or clothing or whatever it is that you have to wear every day. So there is that, that thing guys can kind of always wear a jacket. We pretty much always have pants. We pretty, you know, ladies, not so much. <laughs> yeah. I do love my enigma because it does give me a lot of um, flexibility in what I wear, but you're right. There are times when I've, I've chosen a, a more compact firearm just based on what I'm wearing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, G Webs. Now you mentioned the uh, the event. G Webs says, "How big will the uh, how big will the big girl in the gun event in Colorado next May? How big will it be?" Uh, we already idea yet, and you—that's one you were talking about earlier, right? Yeah, we we sold out with six hundred and six, and the reason it was six hundred and six is I didn't turn it off in time; <laughs> it was still going. Um, <laughs> six, but six hundred students. Um, we sold out in six hours, so we'll have six hundred students. Um, at the event in May, we'll have another, uh, probably an instructor team, about 120. We'll have another army of volunteers and RSOs that are another 50 or so. Um, and then we'll have some vendors. Some of our sponsors will be on site. So all in all, we'll have about a thousand people there. Wow. And as far as the facility, how, how much can that sustain? Well, that that's the Cameo facility that I really love in Colorado. It's um, It will allow us to to scale. So that's what oh, one thing great about that is uh, we're using every part of that facility. I have uh, last year I had 50 training locations. So 50 simultaneous training classes going on. And then wow. the, la the ladies rotate every three and a half hours. So uh, you get three and a half hours. So a morning class with an instructor, and then you'll go to lunch and then you'll go to an afternoon class with a different instructor. Uh, I had 50 classes going on at the same time this year. I added, I identified another five training areas. So I'll have 55 training uh, sessions going on um, but we do everything you can think of so live fire i think there's going to be let me math real quick uh <laughs> 34 
34 live fire areas, and then the rest of them wow. will be lectures, lecture sims, hands-on workshops, that kind of stuff. Now, when you talk about being able to scale, you're talking about these things selling out really quickly, and you're talking about scale. What's holding you back from scaling already? Are there, there where's, the, where's the hang-up? I mean, where's the bottleneck there? Well, the nature of what we do, I don't think I w we can really get any bigger because um, no. I try to have a firing line of 16 or fewer. Gotcha. So. I can stack, obviously, if we're doing Sims or we're doing, um, you know, pepper spray or those kinds of classes, I can have up to 20 uh, in a discussion kind of workshop environment. But a live fire class itself, and some of them are even smaller, like for our clays classes, we, we only have five because it's a five stand. There's five. Right. Uh, for our rifle classes, we only have eight on a line. So it really depends on the... The, the class and the subject matter there. Uh, when someone's doing an IDPA class or a three gun class, they're going one at a time. And so that takes yep. you, you can't really get through a lot of that in three and a half hours. True. So um, it's just kind of the nature of what the topic is. Um, we do tactical games, same thing. You're dragging your sandbags and it, there's just a, some reset time. <laughs> right. So there's just not a lot of time. Right. Um, so I don't think we can really scale any bigger um, in, in that capacity. Um, and plus, everybody gets a prize. So uh, I'm already looking at having to get 600 prizes from our very generous and wonderful sponsors. Um, but it's it's a lot. It's There's a lot that goes into our conference. Well, there's something to, to be said, too. I mean, you know, sadly. But there's something to be said about not taking on anybody and everybody, you know, type thing. To having some type of limitation. Because certain people won't get registered in time or get involved in time. And then that just builds anticipation for the next year. Right. And you have that. I don't know how to put it. It's like, um, what is it like? I don't know, but you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. When you were a kid and you camped out in front of the, the concert tickets and yeah, right. it's like definitely that way. Uh, these right. ladies are, our, our tickets go on sale at midnight and they are literally on like waiting for it to go right. online. Right. They've crashed our website the past couple of years. They're, they're excited about coming. And like I said, this year we sold out in fewer than six hours. Um, mm -hmm. But because of the nature of what we do, because it's live fire, because um, I have to have an instructor and then RSOs for all these shooters, sure. it's just a, a, a matter of maintaining that kind of um, environment where uh, obviously right. safety's first. And I want it to be a great experience and I don't want people feeling rushed or that they didn't get that experience that I want them to have. So yeah, I think, we're, yeah, I think 600 is all we'll do. I've been at some youth competitions before with around 700 kids. Um, so I, I get what you're saying kind of on that scale with the RSOs and the coaches and the trainers and the, I, everything going on. I get it. <laughs> I get yeah. Oh, it. uh, it's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's a lot. And we have we bring in some of the best instructors in the nation. Um, so I want everyone to have as much time on the firing line with them. And if you're in a class that goes one at a time or, um, you know, you want to have as, as much time as possible with these guys. They're they're incredible. Right. Um, yeah, we're at the hour. So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes. Uh, if you're out there, replay live, whatever. I'll have some links down below. Uh, but Robin, for people that want to know more about you, Girl in the Gun, DC projects. I'm just going to throw it out there. This is your self promotion part of the uh, podcast. So let them have it. Okay. Uh, self promotion. Well, if you're interested in a girl on the gun, if there's a woman in your life that loves to shoot or someone you want uh, to be able to have the time and opportunities to shoot more, please send her our way to a girl on the gun.org. Uh, if you're a woman who loves to shoot, you can uh, be a defender or a competitor or just want to come out with the girls. We have girls night out across the country. We'd love to have you there. Uh, you can find a chapter near you at a girl on the gun.org. 
We have national events coming up all throughout 2023. I'll be putting out that calendar pretty soon. Um, lots of great opportunities and would love to see you. So you can follow us on all the social stuff. Um, be a part of our community. We'd love to have you. Did I lose you or did you lose me? I don't have your, I don't have sound. There we go. I fixed there it. There you are. <laughs> so thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for the conversation. I appreciate it. Um, and um, yeah, if you have things you need to announce, you need to whatever talk about, you're welcome back anytime. Oh, uh, thank um, you. We can, uh, we can talk about all sorts of things. Uh, more archery. We need more archery. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I uh, want to thank, Oh, real quick. DJ out there has become a, uh, channel members so i'm glad i got that before we closed out uh so yeah let me switch over here so we can uh get out of here uh thanks to the patreon patrons and the youtube channel members like dj uh that just uh signed up appreciate that uh thanks again that those the super chat super thanks you know the drill big thanks to trailblazer firearms check those guys out uh firearmsradio.net uh lots of good stuff going on check the links in the description below girl in the gun and Everything else will be down there if you want it. And until next time, don't forget to change our freedom. We appreciate the Patreon patrons and YouTube channel members who keep these podcasts going. If you're looking for cool stickers, patches, and other gear, be sure to check out CloverTac.com. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the CloverTac Podcast.